0: Today's episode is brought to us by Umbra's sunglasses. They are armless. They have a cord. They're amazing. I love mine. I can take them anywhere. They won't fall off while I mountain bike. And if you would like to get a pair, go to Instagram, find Umbra's, O-M-B-R-A-Z, send them a message, and they're giving away three free pair this month. Something else I like to take with me anywhere is a couple packs of CS Instant Coffee. If I can't drag along all my coffee equipment, I do have that option to have incredible coffee in the backcountry or anywhere I go. Go to csinstant.coffee and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout for a discount on their incredible instant coffee.
1: Yeah, so I worked with uh, Churchill Clark last year on that project. Uh, So he's the uh, great, 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 great grandson of Captain William Clark of the Lewis and Clark Expedition. And so we spent um, about three months uh, carving a canoe out of a big uh, Douglas fir log.
0: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, trying to help you find adventure every day in any stage of life. You're going to hear from explorers, adventurers, business owners, and anyone living their life a little more out of the box than usual. You ever just hear a story on this show and think to yourself, "Wow, I could I could really see myself doing that." Um, you know, not all the stories I feel that way about. I think they're interesting, but I, I don't necessarily want to do them myself. Um, well, well, this one with with Thomas Elpel, I, I definitely thought, "Wow, I'm, pr- I'm pretty jealous of this experience." And honestly, Thomas's entire lifestyle. I'll go ahead and uh, drop his um, YouTube channel. Uh, he he has a really awesome YouTube channel with all sorts of wilderness survival skills and just primitive living skill videos that are just really entertaining to watch, and I've definitely been living vicariously through them lately. Um, but anyway, this experience of kayak or not kayaking of canoeing the entire Missouri River um, from Three Forks, Montana to St. Louis, Missouri retracing the Lewis and Clark expedition, um, in a dug out handmade canoe that he made with the great, great, great grandson of William Clark of the Lewis and Clark expedition. How awesome is that by the way? Um, what a cool, what a cool experience. It was five months on the water from June to November of 2019. So he literally just got off the river not long before we talked. It was 2300 miles And just was his kind of way of celebrating, uh, being a recent empty nester, (laughs) pretty epic. And, uh, yeah, just amazing, amazing, um, feet but there's a great two-part series on his uh youtube channel and his website about building the canoe itself and then some uh footage from the the, the actual expedition um, but there's a lot of great info on his website and he's going to be writing a book about the experience soon and it is lpel.info and that is e-l-p-l.info I encourage you to check it out very fascinating guy and really enjoyed talking to him and i hope it makes your monday just just a little bit better Perfect. Well, you know, I I know you just got off the Missouri River, but I actually don't know, like, what day did you actually finish the trip?
1: Uh, November 3rd, we arrived uh, in St. Louis at the Arch. So that was was the end, and then it took uh, a little bit of time to get back to Montana.
0: Oh, my gosh. Now, now could you see the Arch from quite a ways away?
1: Um, A couple miles out, not a
0: huge distance. So not like three days out, you could see the Arch.
1: Now, Now the arch is, you know, we talk about paddling the length of the Missouri and the arch is actually on the Mississippi. So it's, a, it's a sort of a symbolic ending point. Uh, there isn't really a good place to take, you know, if, if you just do the whole Missouri, there isn't any place to take out of the water there anyway. So, uh, and so the option is either you take out, About three miles shy of the end of the Missouri, or you do, you finish the Missouri and you go around uh, on the Mississippi a little bit and uh, paddle to the arch is just a nice uh, symbolic ending.
0: Oh, absolutely. People know where it is. You know, it's nice, you know, like you said, ending point and it it assures that you did the whole Missouri, you know?
1: Yes, it does. And you don't have anybody
0: (laughs) questioning, well, you actually stopped where, you know, a mile before it actually is considered the Mississippi. And so you you, you get to. (laughs) disregard all the naysayers but but if you don't mind i'd love to go back where are you coming from today for the interview
1: uh so i live in pony montana southwestern montana about a half an hour from the missouri headwaters where the uh jefferson madison and gallatin rivers come together to form the missouri river
0: so (laughs) pony montana first of all that's the name of the town pony Uh, pony is the name of the town yeah must be pretty (laughs) small
1: It's pretty small and pretty sweet, uh, just nestled in the foothills of the uh, Tobacco Root Mountains. About 120 people here, and that's uh, just right for me.
0: Wow, man. Have you ever, I mean, did you grow up there?
1: Um, No, I went to uh, school over in Bozeman uh, on the other end of the valley, so that's a little bigger. Uh, That's a a real town.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bozeman, man. Holy cow, man, 120 people. I went through one town one time in Montana called Judith Gap. I think it was 25, and I think I met everybody in town that day.
1: <laughs> I, I walked through, uh, did a walk across Montana 31 years ago that went, we went through Judith Gap, and, oh uh, and we stopped and had pie at the restaurant there. So That uh, is
0: hilarious. <laughs> a walk across Montana, that sounds like an episode in itself.
1: <laughs> that was a long time
0: ago. So so you're kind of you've been an adventurer for your whole life it sounds like.
1: Uh well, yes and no. Uh I, I did raise uh, four kids in between that expedition and this one. So uh that had a lot to do with the current one is um a recent uh, empty nester and thought hey, I can uh you know, I've been I've been saving up for a while to uh you know, to go do something and uh and so yeah, I wasn't sure I was uh, debating between bicycling across the U.S. or uh, walking the Appalachian Trail or, or uh, uh, paddling the Missouri, and the Missouri won out. So that's, that was it for the year.
0: <laughs> oh, man, I've got so many interesting – I'm like, i got so many tangents I want to go on. Uh, those are three great options, first of all. I'm definitely partial to the bike traveling, but mm-hmm. as far as the most unique of the three, you definitely chose the right one.
1: Yeah, well, I, I didn't really understand that beforehand. Um, you know, take like the Appalachian Trail. There's thousands of people that start that every year, and a couple Absolutely. hundred that finish. And uh, in comparison, the, the Missouri River is similar in length to the Appalachian Trail. Uh, but if you look at the uh, on MissouriRiverPaddlers dot com, they have a, a database of all the past expeditions. Uh, and if you look at the list through 1962 there it's been like less than 50 people and uh, that just seems crazy to me Uh, it um, you know that it has its its challenging aspects but in comparison to say putting on a backpack and uh, walking the length of the Appalachian Trail this is uh, seems easier in the sense that you know we've got canoes to carry our gear Uh, we you know we 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 Basically you spend most of the uh, summer like turtles laying on a log you know drifting down <laughs> the river <laughs> you, you know can there...
0: carry however much booze however much equipment whatever you want you can pretty much carry i'm sure
1: exactly yeah so um uh <laughs> yeah it it was it was a good trip for sure
0: man well well, you know what you. I don't know. You're right. The, the AT would be harder, but there's also like a billion guides on how to do it and, you know, resources galore and you wouldn't probably hardly have much of a experience of solitude or or wilderness compared to something like this. So, you know, the fact that only 50 people ish have have done this, that is, there must've not been been that many resources to, to go off of to, to plan.
1: Um, yeah. I, yes and no. There are um, there are some good resources out there. Uh, David Miller's book, The Complete Paddler, uh, was very helpful. And uh, and I actually spent some. I mean, originally I was just thinking about winging it, as far as you know, you put the canoe in the water and you start paddling. But um, the fact that I was paddling a, a very heavy uh, hand carved uh, dugout canoe. Uh, meant that I had to coordinate some of our uh, our portages around the dams, and so I had to be able to predict when we were going to be there. And so I started laying out like a, a theoretical schedule to get at least through the first few dams, and then I ended up doing that uh, all the way down to St. Louis. Uh, so working between the uh, Complete Paddler book and uh, Google Earth, putting together <clears> – <throat> You know, projected campsites for each day, and we didn't have to follow that, but um, it was—it actually turned out being really helpful uh, having that as a, as a reference point.
0: So, th- so there is a there is a guidebook out there for it. <laughs> that's a, just one though. No, I'm just playing. I'm sure there's. That's incredible. Man. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, there's so many things you mentioned before. You raised four kids, first of all. Holy cow! I'm on my first, and it's. It's given me a time, but first of all, you're an empty nester. What did your kids think about this? They must have thought dad's crazy.
1: Oh, they knew I was crazy. So, and I don't think it uh, surprised them too much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is too cool, man. So, so, and I didn't even mention one of the most amazing parts of all this. You did this in a canoe that you dug out of a, a essentially a log.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I worked with uh, Churchill Clark last year on that project uh, so he's the uh, great, 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 great grandson of Captain William Clark of the Lewis and Clark Expedition. And so we spent um, about three months uh, carving a canoe out of a big uh, Douglas fir log. And uh, and we tested it last year, did a, a week-long trip on the Marias River here in Montana. And then uh, basically when we finished that trip, I started planning for this year's trip.
0: D- did you have any experience with, with digging out canoes out of out of –
1: wood uh i didn't but he did so he was the one who knew what he was doing and uh, i just did grunt work to remove bulk material uh so the engineering the design of it um uh was all his uh his part of that and uh also the artistic side of it uh i don't know if you looked at any of the uh the pictures online but i did yeah, it's got the uh, he carved the beaver face into the front. It's got a tail on the back, and uh, yeah, it just really turned into a g- gorgeous work of art. You know, I was just thinking, well, a, a dugout canoe, and I hadn't, you know, thought in artistic terms of it. Uh, but what, uh, you know, the touch he added was just amazing.
0: And now, you know, be, being the like you said, the great 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 grandson of William Clark, is this just something he's done to kind of continue that tradition of, of expedition or of ruggedness. And yeah, you're right. It's beautiful. And I think her name was Bella. Um, now did, I, I, I kind of mixed up questions there, but is that mm-hmm. something he's been, he's been doing for a while?
1: Uh, yeah. So the Lewis and Clark Bicentennial, uh, was, uh, 2004 through 2006 mm-hmm. and uh, he hadn't had experience before that. But he um, figured, you know, hey, it was in the family. So he went out and uh, joined the reenactors that were retracing the route. And uh, so part of that, he ended up, um, you know, on a dugout canoe, um, going upriver, up the Missouri, and then rode horses over the mountains and paddled down the other side to the Pacific and then came all the way back uh, the following year there. And... um and along the way, they uh, or over one of the winter breaks there, they, um, he got experience working on a dugout canoe. And so now that's, that's what he does, is he travels the country making dugout canoes. Uh, so he's made several. And uh, I was lucky to, to get him up to uh, our skills camp. Uh, I have a, a kids program and, a, and an adult program. The kids program is uh, outdoor wilderness living school, or OWLs. And so I work with the public schools here to get the kids out of the classroom to do wilderness survival skills. Uh, Things like uh, starting fires by rubbing sticks together, uh, foraging for wild plants, uh, building shelters, a stocking game, things like that. And so um, uh, the canoe project, it was more of one that they could learn about. It wasn't so much a hands-on type project. but Kind of learn along with you. Yeah, they could definitely, uh, they were interested. They are very interested in that. And then my adult program, uh, Green University, um, you know, I was, I have students that come in and out of that. So we had um, some people get in on it that way as well. Wow.
0: So you're sitting here. Now, this is a skill you didn't have. So you're learning this skill. But But it's probably safe to say for the other skills needed on the trip, you were pretty ready what what was it what was the process the the journey like making the canoe itself? It sounded like it was almost as long as the the paddle itself <laughs>
1: uh yes I mean there, it, yes and no the we took off we did the majority of the work in the first two weeks, oh, but okay. you know the closer you get to the end, the longer it takes um and so you know it just went slower and slower as we were uh, fine tuning it. Um, and of course we're running kids camps in the middle of all that. So it's not like, uh, uh, the canoe was the only thing that was happening.
0: Right. Of course. Yeah. It, life still happens around adventures is what we learn on this show. You got <laughs> yeah. to fit it in where you can. We've talked to plenty of people who are like, I had 20, 30 years of raising kids and now I'm doing adventures and it's like, all right, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> and so you're, you're right on track for that. Was there ever a time where you just thought, man, forget this. Let me just go buy a canoe.
1: Oh, not at all. No. Um, and, and same for being on the river, uh, you know, the, the guys that were with me had modern canoes and I just had no desire to trade places with anybody. Uh, that's not to say it was always easier, uh, in the dugout canoe because it's, it definitely was not just streamlined or, uh, you know, there, and the lakes in particular, it was like paddling a log. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, literally, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's something, uh, just a little more solid and real about it. Um, it's, and it's hard to describe, but you know, when you paddle a dugout canoe, it's, it's the real deal. And, um, You know, so I just didn't want to didn't want to leave that.
0: (laughs) No, I I, what an amazing aspect to add to it that a lot of people wouldn't even think about, you know, and just a, a way to you've had a lot of time to think about the journey before you actually went on the journey.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, and the fact that that uh, Dugout Canoe Project came together is is what it cemented the uh, the decision, you know, whereas instead of doing a hiking trip or a biking trip, uh, the fact that that uh, kind of serendipitously came together is what decided it, that I would do the, uh, the canoe trip, and uh, another uh, guy here had actually donated an old um, – uh, you know, worn out dugout canoe for a museum piece to my uh, to my kids' camp there, and uh, and and then he sold me his dugout canoe trailer uh, that was custom built. And it's like there's not a lot of dugout canoe trailers in the world, but this one just kind of landed in my lap. And so there's this kind of serendipitous uh, element that um, all these things came together. Uh, that, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, this, this canoe trip is going to happen.
0: <laughs> it's meant to be.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I know this is an ad, but this is actually how I feel. Ombra's sunglasses are amazing. They're armless and they just have a cord that connects the frame around your head. And my son can't pull them off my head like he pulls my other sunglasses off. They won Backpackers Magazine gear editors gear choice of the year. They plant 20 trees for every pair they sell. And honestly, guys, I, I wear them every day. I take them everywhere I go. I just wore them cycling the other day on a long trip. It was They just perform great. I love that there's no arms on them. I slip them in the pocket of my shirt or in my pants. I don't have to worry about breaking them. Fantastic glasses. I don't have to worry about them coming off. If I'm wrestling around with my son or playing with my dogs, uh, I, I really do enjoy them. enjoy them and I'm going to be buying more for myself for the foreseeable future. I mean, they're just, they've totally changed the way I look at sunglasses. You can check them out too at ombras.com, O-M-B-R-A-Z.com. They make a great Christmas gift. I know you can't always make coffee the way you want to in a lot of the places that we go, you know, in the back country or on top of a mountain somewhere, but the good news is there is a great option for coffee in the back country and it's CS instant coffee they make big pouches that fill you know 20 ounce containers with fresh coffee just put some hot water in there and you're good to go or put cold water in there and then you can have some cold brew they use 100 compostable packaging so just in case you dropped it please don't but if you did it's gonna biodegrade into the ground. It's great for backcountry travel or any anytime you just don't feel like breaking out the coffee maker, or the French press or whatever. I actually use them all the time just in my house when I don't feel like making a big pot of coffee. So check them out at csinstant.coffee and use the code adventure at checkout to get a discount. Well, I, I tell you, you have an incredible like two-part uh, video, two videos on your website that kind of show the process of making it and then show part of the journey. And oh, I'm going to totally link those because I really encourage people to take, what is it? Let's see, 30 minutes and 20 minutes. So yeah, less than an hour of your time to watch this. It's incredible. It's exciting. It You just see the hard work that goes into it. And yeah, this is a... This is a tree that you're working on, man. It is enormous. <laughs> Can you just tell people, like, what was the length of your canoe overall, and, and what was the weight and everything? Because I, I think it's amazing.
1: Yeah. So um, a, a typical um, tripping canoe would be about a 17-footer, and the, the tree, the uh, the dugout canoe, is a 20-footer, so just slightly bigger. Uh, but it's quite heavy. The um, I actually had a cottonwood picked out for it, but uh, Churchill took a look at it and said it wasn't big enough. So then I went in, you know, went into panic mode looking for a big enough log. And, uh, and we found this Douglas fir at a sawmill. And I got to tell you, Douglas fir is not a conventional, uh, wood for doing uh, dugout canoes. It's hard, it's full of knots and it cracks. And um
0: So not not so, ideal. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh so you know we ended up um well for one thing we used a lot of power tools working on it because it's like we'd chop at the uh chop at those knots and the tools would just bounce off. and I so, saw that um, and
0: I thought I'm like, is the blade turned because it would just bounce <laughs> right off. I'm like, no, they're hitting it with the blade. It is like hitting yeah. concrete.
1: Yeah. So um and the other thing is that Douglas fir is heavy. That uh, like cottonwood apparently loses, um, I think it's like half its weight when it dries out, whereas Douglas fir loses like ten percent of its weight. And uh, and we've we've said uh, Churchill and I said from you know once we finished the canoe that it weighed like about five hundred pounds, uh, but we never actually weighed it. And um, and you know four of us can't even lift the head off the, the ground, so. Uh, concluded it must be considerably more than 500 pounds. And so um, I, I'll, I'll weigh it one of these days. This hasn't happened yet. But um, uh, my guess is it could be as high as like 900. So it, it's a heavy canoe. It definitely uh, don't throw it over your shoulders to uh, Portage. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, logistically, that's got to just make so many things so different than a normal canoe trip. Because, you know, I... I yeah, I've done canoeing. I can just pick it up myself. But this, like, what did you do to, I mean, was it hard to paddle in the water or get moving?
1: Uh, no, I mean, it, it really actually paddles quite well. Uh, certainly not, uh, you know, like a sleek uh, canoe or kayak, but um, it, it paddles just fine. And it has enough mass that once you, you know, get it moving, uh, it takes a little bit of, you know, breaking to, uh If you're coming into shore, you got to make sure you're not coming in too hot. (laughs) Oh
0: man, no kidding! Nine hundred pounds, potentially nine hundred pounds of wood flying into shore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Of course, you know we can't. You know, a lot of canoes you would you would um, take them out of the water when you get to camp. Uh, It's nice to have that option that you can just pull it up on shore, and that is, uh, you know, not did not happen with the dugout canoe. Uh, so that just, you know, it was a factor sometimes in choosing campsites, um, and finding a suitable place, uh, you know, where we could, uh, tie up or drive a stake in knowing that we would have to, uh, leave the canoe in the water and slog through the mud to go back and forth, uh, to get the gear.
0: Wow. What a fascinating twist to put on just, you know, a canoe trip. Wh- when did you, uh, when did you start the journey?
1: Uh, so we started, uh, June 1st. So it was, uh, five months and, uh, three days, um, from, yeah, from Three Forks, Montana to St. Louis, Missouri. And that's about, uh, the river itself is 2,341 miles. And you miss a little bit here and there because of dams, but, um, uh, you know, we did probably in the range of 2,300 miles anyway. Holy cow.
0: And now can you just, tell us what once you got the canoe built you had some logistics your logistics figure out you know did, did you have to research the river or were you familiar enough with the river to know you know you did the whole river from three forks montana to st louis like what is the mood of this river is, is there rapids and, and dangers you have to watch out for like that
1: um as far as you know rapids and all that goes it's um Uh, the Missouri is exceptionally tame. Uh, It's actually kind of shocking that a river could be so long and um, so flat. (laughs) Um, So there, yeah, there isn't much for um, rapids. Uh, And the main thing, though, is that the uh, there's 15 dams on the river with reservoirs. And so there's 700 miles of flat water. Uh, Basically, one third of the river is flat water impounded behind the dam. So that's like uh, paddling from Seattle to San Francisco on a lake. And uh, so that was, you know, that's one thing Lewis and Clark didn't have to deal with, Uh, but uh, you know, we did. And the the lakes are a trial for sure.
0: (laughs) Oh, I can imagine. I I guess you lose the uh, the flow of the river at that point.
1: Yeah. Um so you know some of the smaller lakes are, are fine because they're you know if they're skinny enough or they're not too windy, then we can paddle and fine. But the wind is a major challenge. Uh the first biggish lake that we encountered, uh Canyon Ferry Lake here in Montana. Uh we had a actually a pretty nice day on the river and then we hit the lake and we went it in right into uh just a, a headwind blew up out of nowhere. And uh there in that part of the uh, reservoir, there was a bunch of uh, what they call the duck ponds that have that are rip-wrapped, so it's kind of steep, rocky banks. There was nowhere where we could land safely, and so we're just basically stuck in the lake, paddling into the wind, uh, moving forward with you know inches at a time, and uh, so hours later. Uh, we finally got past the uh, the duck ponds and uh, you know saw a sandy beach and then just went for it hoping to um, you know get out of the canoes and just lead the, uh, lead them by ropes uh, along the the lake shore. Uh, but one problem uh, with the that's unique to the uh, dugout canoe is that um, when you get on you get up to the shore if there's any uh, winds, waves coming in from the side, uh, they just hit the side of the canoe and leap over into the canoe. And so basically filled it up like a bathtub uh, in seconds. (laughs) And so this was a a trial in our uh, first week there uh, that we had to deal with. And fortunately the wind subsided just after that. And so, uh, you know, bailed out the canoe and, uh, you know restock uh, the gear in there and uh, paddle into camp but um, yeah we had another incident like that on that lake where actually I had the canoe as far out of the water as could really get a you know a heavy canoe out and um, you know we just camped there but the wind came up in the night and filled the the the, uh, the canoe like a bathtub so you know it's pretty much sitting on shore full of water <laughs> Oh gosh! so you know i learned from that that we just had to find a a nicely protected harbor uh to camp at when we're on the lakes Uh, it was never really an issue on the river but on the lakes um had to find suitable spots that were protected uh, to camp each night
0: my goodness man so many just things like that i wouldn't even think about having to deal with but once you implement a, a canoe that's essentially a tank on the water you've got <laughs> you've got all that kind of things to think about so how, how did you deal with portaging it down those dams
1: yeah well i uh, i mentioned that um that trailer the custom built trailer yes. and because because the canoe was so heavy um i i brought the trailer and um it might sound like an, a logistical nightmare to um Uh, bring a trailer without a truck uh, down the river while we're paddling a a canoe but actually it was one of those serendipitous things it just worked out quite miraculously Uh, of course close to home I had uh, friends and family that were able to help us but um, downstream just um, ran into people either uh, sometimes just right at the boat ramp that could uh drive our trailer down to the next dam, or we connected with people online, uh, who could do it. And, um, you know, some cases people were, uh, were going that way anyway. There's uh, one fellow down in South Dakota who, um, he was driving to Tennessee and volunteered to drive the, uh, the trailer drop off in St. Louis on his way through. And so, and and he uh, actually was coming back when uh, like two days after we got off the water. so he hitched the trailer up and gave us a ride uh, part way back, and then uh, I rented a U-haul from there to drive back to Montana. So um, so basically, I yeah, just hopped the trailer off from volunteer to volunteer all the way down the river, and uh, hoped it would be there when we uh, got to the next dam, <laughs> and it was
0: my gosh man isn't that awesome that you just you don't have to figure out every little detail before you leave and just have honestly have faith in people that oh you're know totally, yes. gonna meet somebody and and so I I assume you back the trailer in down a boat ramp load the load the dugout canoe on and then go to the other side of the dam and do, and drop you off is that that's how it exactly. works okay yeah. and then they take it to the next one
1: yep that
0: is crazy that you just I mean what 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 a way to have faith in people and, and and it paid off you know it actually worked that's that's the way it should be
1: you know that was a uh, really just uh, I, I feel like we met some of the nicest people on the planet on this trip and that was uh, really one of the highlights of the journey
0: well I'm sure everybody and their mother saw you and wanted to talk to you for you know as long as I'm talking to you for like what in the heck are you doing <laughs> uh,
1: yeah well there would you get that log. That? Some recur yeah. They definitely we drew crowds in.
0: <laughs> and yeah, you know, that's so neat that the Missouri it, it was able to you were able to do that for essentially the entire time. Can I tell you what what was like how beautiful was it out there? How was the scenery, especially early on coming out of the mountains of Montana?
1: Oh yeah, it was it was pretty incredible. Um there's there's parts that I have paddled before the um the, the, the part closest uh, to me, the you know, Missouri headwaters down to Canyon Ferry Lake, have done that uh, many times because we like to go uh, carp hunting there with bows and arrows. And I paddled the uh, wild and scenic uh, stretch of the river in uh, central Montana uh, a long time ago. But, um, yeah, there are some very spectacular uh, parts. The, uh, the gates of the mountains uh, here in Montana was uh, amazing, and I had never done that before and the wild and scenic part i realized after paddling it a second time that i'm going to have to go back and do that a third time uh but i think the real surprise was that the the river stayed beautiful uh beyond there uh fort peck lake um out in eastern montana is really quite gorgeous um it's it's a bear to paddle i mean it's a huge lake uh but it is incredible country. It's all badlands, uh, badlands and prairie out there. Um, but it is so beautiful, and uh, I just love to uh, to get out and explore. And you know, that's the thing is, I, I could take another month just paddling the Montana portion uh, of the Missouri River. And uh, you know, Montana is a big state. There's actually one third of the entire length of the Missouri River is in Montana. Wow. So we spent two months two months just crossing Montana. Uh, and um you know it's widely considered the most beautiful part of Missouri uh, but i, I was uh, actually quite amazed getting into uh, north dakota uh, Lake Sakakawea, in particular uh was just gorgeous uh i had expected in the dakotas just to see like wind swept plains and uh you know no trees at all but um uh no it was uh uh, some kind of bad landy, but it was more like good landy, bad landsy If that makes any sense, it was more fertile. <laughs> you know, I've never Montana. I uh, say
0: good landsy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Eastern Montana can be pretty uh, desolate, and in, in fact, it was a month between towns out there at, at one point. Um, a
0: month between towns.
1: Yeah, there's just any, any isn't anything else out there, um, but yeah, out in the uh, Dakotas. Um, yeah, it was, it was really beautiful, uh, kind of like fertile badlands, um, and you know, all the the bluffs, the um, the little midwestern forests, and the coolies. Uh, it was quite amazing, and um, yeah, so really quite beautiful all the way down, and, and then of course we hit the fall colors in the last uh, few weeks of the trip, uh, down south, and that was. That was uh, really beautiful and very different than the fall colors I'm used to here in Montana, because uh, we have we don't have as many tree species. So like our uh, our fall colors are beautiful here in terms of we get this golden carpet of uh, or you know down the the rivers with cottonwoods. On. But down there uh, in Missouri, it was just all these different colors, uh, more of a painting of uh, um, you know many different hues, and uh, so that was just a real treat.
0: Man, I can't imagine how awesome that was. Uh, you know, I, I I've found that you know when you're adventuring through somewhere, especially especially not driving, but like when you're on an adventure in the middle of something, the places that may not seem as exciting uh, geographically or just for whatever reason, uh, they really surprise you because you're seeing things at such a different pace than you were thinking about or such a in a, in a different area and you know i've been able to bike quite a few of the states and some of the most memorable experiences have been in what would be considered some of the most mundane places and those are the most cherished memories
1: oh for sure yeah yeah and i think um you know my view of um of the states we toured is probably a little bit skewed because i saw it all from the from the water uh you know like the dakotas uh it was like it was amazingly green and hilly and <laughs> right right there the <laughs> water <and>, uh, <laughs> yeah so i, I don't know i exactly saw the same dakotas anybody else has but uh, i think we saw the best part <laughs>
0: uh, man i'm telling you that water that water draws the greenery you know so it's very very well might be true
1: and this year was exceptionally green that was i think one of the big surprises is uh i just anticipated it would be hot and dry with uh Temperatures, you know, from eighty to hundred degrees every day. But um, we had a, a just, you know, like rainstorm it Seemed like a, about every four days we would get another big rainstorm, and it was uh, it was spring green all the way across the Dakotas, all the way down. Uh, and then they had um, spring flooding this year, and uh, we started fairly late. Uh, since I work with kids in May. We started June 1st, which is later than most paddlers do. Mm-hmm. But um, so we were behind the floods uh, most of the way. But once we got down there far enough, uh, it was yeah, pretty heavy flooding and, and kind of unprecedented to have this high of water this late in the year. And, um, I, and nearly tied 2011 for the highest uh, total runoff uh, ever um, in the watershed. And that was also interesting to, uh, just from the standpoint that, uh, here in Montana, if you've, if you have, you know, when you have a flooded river, they're, they really rage, you know, and it's like, uh, you don't paddle flooded rivers, but, um, the Missouri is just so big that it's more like a slow moving lake. Um, and so even when it's flooded, it's, it's not, uh, super hazardous.
0: Why, why don't you paddle flooded rivers?
1: Like, uh, like the Jefferson river here, uh, when it's up, it's moving pretty fast and the, the turns of the court, you know, the bends are pretty tight. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty hazardous. Uh, but even, uh, the Missouri river, just at the headwaters down here, uh, I've taken, uh, you know, kids out there to go carp hunting during flood season because, uh, the, the river is just big enough that, um. A little bit of flooding isn't a, a big deal. Uh, it just, you know, it's just bigger and flatter, basically. Uh, and that's yeah, I to say it sounds
0: like there's just more playground at that point.
1: Yeah, you know, that's the funny thing on Missouri is that uh, you know if you're standing on the on the bank, uh, I mean, up in Montana, the current moves pretty slow, but the the channelized river uh, in the 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 last 700 miles of the Missouri River there, where it's been uh, straightened and deepened. Uh, when you're standing on the bank, it looks like it's moving really fast, but when you're out on the water, it's uh, almost like you're standing still. Um, and, and, part of that is just because it's, it's so big that you're far away from the banks. So, um, you don't have the, you know, the feeling that you would on a small river of moving super fast. Um, so, uh, yeah, but, you know, looking at it, rush by it it was really moving and it was going, uh, at times six or seven miles an hour, which, uh, is, is actually fairly fast.
0: Absolutely. And now you guys obviously didn't have an issue with, uh, having plenty of places to get water, of course, but h- how did you deal with food? Did you, is it like the backpacking world where you have like maybe pre-planned meals or backpacking meals? Did you kind of you know put caches out there ahead of time? H- how did that work with like the distances in between towns?
1: Yeah, well, we didn't really. Um, our group didn't really coordinate between us. Everybody kind of prepared in their own way. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I, as a writer, I focused on the important things, like building my uh, building a wooden desk to fit in my canoe. <laughs> and uh, when it came time to <laughs> when it came time to um, uh, get food, I just opened up the kitchen cabinet and uh, pushed, you know, in. Basically anything that I wouldn't get around to eating at home, you know, all the little random bags of uh, rice and beans and whatnot, flour, and that all went into um, uh, this plastic barrel that I carried. And, um, you know, the main thing is we knew we had a month-long section without uh, between towns that we had to have a month-long supply of food for that, even though most of the rest of the trip was – uh, you know, usually just days between towns or uh, at most a, a week or two. But um, uh, so, we, yeah, we brought plenty of food, and uh, we did some foraging, really as much as we could. Uh, the first week was really one of our, our best for wild food foraging in terms of uh, we hit the wild uh, the greens while the, well, the um, morel mushrooms were up, so we had some great mushrooms. It was a good place for hunting carp with bows and arrows, um, and lots of uh, you know, wild greens. So he really uh, ate royally there. And, um, and then less so in other places, just depending on what was available. Uh, but in some places, particularly Fort Peck Lake, uh, uh, some of the guys, uh, Scott and John in particular, did a lot of uh, fishing and uh, brought in some monster uh, northern pike and catfish and uh, a little everything, really. And uh, so we ate really good um, with that, um, and yeah. So and you know we we'd start out with fresh food whenever we left town, and then switch over to dry goods. Uh, but uh, overall, we we ate uh, like kings out there.
0: <laughs> Man, that that uh, I mean, did did you hear what you just said? You said you were bow fishing in Montana in a dugout canoe, retracing the path of Lewis and Clark. Is that is is that get through to you just how amazing that sounds like it doesn't sound real
1: uh, i suppose
0: uh, i mean as a writer that's like the most beautiful thing man it's just like what <laughs> that was your life for six i know, mean, five months essentially good
1: lord that is amazing. i actually have a, um i have a video on youtube of the carp hunting with bows and arrows you know so it's modern canoes not the dugout but um you know, this is something I like to do. And, uh, you know, that's the thing is that the, uh, the carp were in originally introduced here for food. And uh, modern Americans really disdain them as trash fish. But uh, they're, they're considered uh, uh, like a Christmas dish in some uh, some Eastern European countries. And they're really quite good. So I was, I was hoping to uh, hunt for carp all the way down. But it was really just this first week was the only spot that we found that was really good for hunting them.
0: Wow. You know, I've actually never had one just because I've heard that, but I'd love to try it. I have no qualms about giving it a shot and definitely plentiful in places. So that might be, heck, I'd love to acquire a taste for them. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you might be surprised. They're really quite good. Good. That's good to hear. I'm. You know, everyone says
0: that, but I've never been picky. So I don't know why I listened to them in the first place. <laughs> but you keep saying we, and I apologize. I haven't asked. Who was all on the trip with you?
1: Yeah, so there's um, really five of us that um, were on the, you know, on, on the official expedition. Other people that came and go, and there's four of us that uh, that finished that did the whole thing. So that was um, Scott Robinson of Colorado, uh, John Gentry of Tennessee, Chris Dawkins of Washington State, and myself uh and you know i i do canoe trips every year typically one or two weeks where i just say i'm going canoeing who wants to come with me and uh so i'm used to canoeing with um you know people that are either strangers or uh you know friends family former students uh from my green university program basically whoever wants to come along and um and so that's what I did on this. And, I, uh, and it's actually it's hard to find uh, people that can uh, drop everything, even if they want to go. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard for people to walk away for uh, what, what I said would be up to six months um, to, to do a trip like this. So I, I was lucky to get the crew, uh, you know, to get a, a, an actual crew. And, um, yeah, I ended up with some great guys.
0: You know, I will say, and, and as we hear, you know, I hear from listeners all the time. It's not the lack of desire that keeps people from going. It's really the lack of, you know, being able to just work it out in normal life. And it, it usually does have to wait for a time where they're either, you know, before kids or after kids, you know, with like yourself, empty nester. But, you know, that's, that's, I I can guarantee a lot more people wanted to go, but couldn't
1: yeah
0: (laughs) well so so were were you so with with your canoe were you the only one in it or were all four of you in it how how did that work with with the vessels
1: um so there was uh yeah two people in this canoe and then uh the other canoes were you know partnered sometimes and we kind of it was shifting uh different things as we went along so sometimes solo paddling canoes sometimes partnered up um but we and everybody took turns uh paddling the dugout canoe so i, w- I was in the dugout canoe full time all the way to st louis and then everybody else uh, rotated through uh with chris and i being the main the pr- the principal paddlers of that and, so uh, and then uh, break. Uh, i didn't i didn't want to break no i didn't want to be on uh, the other canoes and uh yeah actually out in eastern montana um uh, Chris had uh, picked up a stray dog uh, on the uh, reservation out there, and uh, it was a puppy, two-month-old puppy. And so that that uh, Jubilee is what he named her, and so we uh, then had a dog uh, on the canoe. She grew up on the canoe, actually. Oh, my.
0: Are you kidding me? <laughs> you, if I would have said that with the bow-hunting sentence I put together, that would have just... There's your. There's a bestseller right there. That sounds like Huckleberry Finn or something, man. This is ridiculous. <laughs> That's amazing. So you had a dog named Jubilee join you the whole time.
1: Uh, yeah. So it was uh, about. Oh, well, I guess you know. In say the trip. six weeks. Okay. Probably six weeks into the trip, uh, she came on board and and did all the rest. Yeah. I mean, she really grew up on the canoe. How,
0: how did she? How did she do? Did she ever jump out or fall out or any sort of challenges? in that sense, raise, raising a dog on the canoe trip?
1: Uh, well, the main thing was that, um, you know, she's an energetic puppy, and it was a little hard for her to uh, get on the canoe in the morning, you know, to settle down. Uh, and, and, you know, she would whine, but after a while she'd settle down. And, um, and you know, short days were fine, uh, but there were, there were times when we needed to be just on the water all day, and that was really tough on her. Um, uh, but, you know, the short days were okay because we'd get to, uh, get to camp and she'd have plenty of time and, and freedom to run around. And that's what she needed, really needed. So,
0: so, you know, you've mentioned a few times of just different kinds of challenges. Do, do you feel there were any, so by, by the way, I didn't mean to just, uh, rush through that. That is first of all, crazy that the dog was on there. I had no idea, none <laughs> of my research. I just saw a dog. Um, so that just, I'm really delighted by that. That's a really cool aspect that I didn't know about. So that's, that's so <laughs> fat Where, where I mean to ask, where's the dog now?
1: Oh, uh, he's, so yeah, Jubilee and Chris both belong together. Um, uh, yeah, she has such a sweetheart. Um, it was really a thrill to have her along. Just, uh, made every day fun, you know, having that little puppy energy running around with the dog. Um, yeah, just a real sweetheart.
0: That is too cool, man. I love that. And now, you know, you you, you teach a class that's, you know, teaching, you know, cause a school that teaches wilderness uh, skills and self-sufficiency. Was there anything, I don't know, did you notice anything in your skill set that was lacking on the experience where it's like, wow, oh, I didn't expect I'd needed that as much as I do? Or did you feel pretty well prepared?
1: Um, I felt pretty well prepared actually. Uh, I guess the main thing is, is that, um, I'm just not real big on fishing pole fishing. And, um, so, you know, I didn't do that. The other guys were doing that. And, um, if they were catching fish, then, uh, then there was no need for me to. And if they were not catching fish, then I definitely didn't want to. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, you know, so we had a degree of specialization like that. And, uh, and Scott was also the, uh, the GPS guy, so um, he brought the equipment uh, for that that, you know, I could give him a, a list of coordinates, GPS coordinates for all the campsites, uh, pro- proposed campsites down the river. He could plug those in and, um, you know, make sure that we can find those places and know how far we had to go. Um, or if we needed to input a new site, you know, we could do that and, and navigate to that uh, easily. So, uh, so that was very helpful and, you know, I didn't uh, have to do it. I didn't have to learn it. Um, I just, uh, you know, I was glad to, uh, find such a good partner that could handle that part.
0: So you, you seem pretty laid back about all this and pretty, uh, you know, didn't seem like there was a ton of surprises. Was there anything that was incredibly challenging about it for you or, or a part of it that was the most challenging or difficult?
1: well certainly the uh the lakes the and lakes. I, and okay. I the thing is i i knew they would be challenging uh ahead of time i had enough experience to know that and and that's the thing is that um you know i, I, I paddled the missouri river but i i don't really think of myself as a paddler I, I you know i like canoeing i canoed the missouri river which to me is different than paddling and so um i'm kind of a land lover and uh you know there's a lot of guys that are just happy to get out there and just dig into the water and and paddle that's what that's what a lot of people do is they just want to paddle to the end and to me i just wanted to paddle to get someplace interesting to uh get out and hike and explore so i'm really not that fond of paddling actually okay so so
0: (laughs) how would you explain that difference is canoeing just kind of flowing with the river
1: uh well yeah i mean there's that flowing with the river uh it's um You know, to me, I wanted to see everything along the way. I wanted to explore, uh, you know, check out every rock and tree and bush. (laughs) And, you know, so we're doing hiking and um, take layover days just to get out and see the area. Uh, We went to a lot of historical sites. Uh, So really uh, being tourists, um, as opposed to kind of the idea of of getting out and conquering the river, you know, uh, that the goal is, you know, to get to the end. That was always kind of secondary. Mm. Um, but anyhow, the, uh, the lakes were, um, you know, the major concern, even before we left. And, uh, I wanted to paddle some of that, but not all of that. And, uh, we did do, uh, um, Fort Peck. I mean, we paddled all the lakes down to Fort Peck, uh, which was a, um, Fort Peck is, uh, I don't remember, over a hundred miles long. Um, so just this immense lake. Uh, out in eastern Montana. And um, it can be pretty challenging with the wind and the waves out there. But um, we, uh, you know, we did it. We uh, pulled it off. We we're very proud of that and just didn't necessarily want to do it again. And uh, when we got out to uh, Lake Sakakawea in North Dakota, uh, we paddled the first part into uh, a marina there where we met a guy who he wanted to join us for. Um, to paddle part of the the river, and um, when he was coming, I you know he asked if there is anything uh, we needed, and I said, "Well, do you happen to have an outboard motor laying around?"
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and this was just another one of those many serendipitous things. Uh, is he actually brought an outboard motor, and we strapped it to the back of the the dugout canoe, and we lashed the. Um, uh, Scott's old town canoe to it, and then we were towing uh, another canoe and um, and yeah, when we first put this together, by the time we got it done, it was uh getting into the afternoon, which is when the winds really pick up, but we were uh, eager eager to get out there, and so we uh, we motored out onto the lake into this headwind. And then, of course, with the water coming in, you know, the waves coming in between the two canoes, it was sloshing up over over the sides. And so we basically traveled uh, or traded um, paddling for sponging. So we were, you know, uh, sponging and bailing uh, continuously as we're uh, jetting down the lake at 1.8 miles per hour
0: oh man that poor motor
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the uh you know and there wasn't really anything to lash to on the dugout canoes so all the lashings are super loose and the uh you know with the waves the uh the two canoes are kind of seesawing up and down at different rates and the lashings are lurching back and forth and the water's coming in and it, it, it seemed like an eternity to uh to get to the first bay that we could get out uh, uh off the lake at um and that was only like 3 miles from where we started that day <laughs> oh but uh, in principle we proved that the, the the motor could work uh you know it could only get better from there if we had better weather uh so yeah so we used that um across all the lakes in the Dakotas which was um uh, Lake Sakakawea, Wahhi uh, lake Sharp and like Francis Case, which is between them, um, thinking in the range of 400 or yeah, probably 400 miles, uh, and that took us uh, six weeks <laughs> with a motor, um, and a lot of that time was just spent waiting for the wind to stop blowing uh, so that we could get out on the lake. Uh, we could, you know, we we could move about uh, four and a half miles an hour under ideal conditions, and. Um, so yeah, 6 weeks puttering along uh, across all those lakes and uh, if we hadn't done that I wouldn't be home yet.
0: <laughs> really. Wow. That's Did was anyone on the team, I mean, was there how did you guys do relationally? Was anyone frustrated with the pace at any time? Cuz I've definitely done adventures kind of both ways, you know, for the enjoyment, kind of more traveling going to see sights, and the others are, you know, going straight to the finish line. And I will say you have more fun when you're, uh, when you're just kind of meandering, at least I do.
1: Yeah. Um, for the most part, uh, pretty good. The, um, uh, John was more eager to get to the finish line, uh, mostly because he had obligations at home, uh, he needed to get back to, um, but, uh, most of the time it just made sense to, uh, stick together and then when we got uh, down near Omaha, Nebraska, uh, that's when he really uh, jetted ahead. Uh, you know, we'd long done, it. We'd, we'd long ago sent the uh, motor into storage, so we we're just back to paddling. Uh, but we had a, a pretty fast current, and uh, you know, if you just put in enough hours, you could really get in the miles. So uh, he went ahead of us at that point and reached St. Louis about two weeks before we got there.
0: Man, just the fact that you guys all were able to stick together that long and get that many people to take that much time off is it's pretty amazing. What an experience. Uh, you know, I found out about you through, um, Daniel Hurd. Oh yeah. He said he joined you for part of it. I, I, I don't, I didn't, he didn't tell me exactly what that was. So I actually don't know.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Dan is, uh, bicycling the lower 38 state or 48 states for uh, suicide awareness. Um, and so we had, uh, paddled into, uh, I think it was a uh, Decatur, um, Nebraska and, you know, all these little, there's so much flooding that, uh, like this park had been flooded, I think three times that year or this year. And, uh, and there was another big storm coming. And so the park, uh, uh, manager, you know, suggested we come pitch our tents inside this, uh, sheltered area. And we did, and there was uh, Dan was already um, camped there with, you know, with his bicycle and his tent there, and so we met and started hanging out together, and we were going more or less the same direction, so um, we started basically traveling together. He was going by bike, and we were going by canoe, and we'd uh, uh, camp together at uh, towns along the way, and then go touring uh, some of the historical sites uh, around and uh so yeah that was that was a lot of fun um just uh, he's such a great guy and uh, it was fun um, connecting up and you know town after town <laughs> that's
0: so cool man yeah dan was on the but, show earlier this year and uh oh, he's just been a pleasure he reaches out pretty often with where he is and connecting us with you know with new new potential guests and he's just uh oh, he's just a great guy
1: Oh, he's terrific.
0: Yes. That's awesome. And I love what he's doing. So once he, uh, once he comes through here, we're definitely going to try to do something live, but, uh, yeah, he, he told me about this. I'm like, really, you ran into them and just joined them for a little (laughs) bit. That is amazing. It's just, you just never know who's out there doing what it's so amazing (laughs) to me. Who, who, who just, just incredible to me. And, uh, Mm -hmm. when you put yourself out there, you never know who you're going to run into. That's for sure. (laughs) That's yeah, it's an understatement for sure. So, you you know, you get back home, you've only been home a couple weeks, man. What has it been hard to readjust to normal life back in Pony, Montana?
1: Well, you got to realize this is Pony, Montana, there's only 120 people here. So, I live in a a stone and log house I built myself, I cook on a wood stove. Um, it's You know, this has kind of been my life doing. um, You know, I I write books on wilderness survival and botany and sustainable living and uh, uh, go camping a lot. This uh, isn't that drastically different. You know, it's not like I'm going back to a cubicle. So, right. uh, the adjustment isn't that uh, difficult for me and i was uh, i was writing the entire time that's my my primary occupation is um uh you know i write books and uh i was writing the entire time we were out uh, i wrote a uh, a blog that was picked up as a newspaper column by uh newspapers along the missouri river and um so right now i'm working on um uh, turning that into a book uh, so um, yeah. So I'm kinda of still actually living the trip right now because I'm immersed in it every day.
0: <laughs> Man, that's that's the way to do it. We do talk to a lot of people that their their normal life is just so starkly different and it's it's a whirlwind, you know, trying to readjust. I've definitely been there. Um and I've had other trips where I move into like a barn afterwards and it just feels like the adventure just keeps on going. But, oh, no. <laughs> so for you, what an amazing ability to like come home, really process it and really, you know, keep, keep that thread of creativity and that thread of excitement going. Uh, you, do you mind sharing? Where can people find out more about your books and about your story?
1: Uh, sure. So you can go to uh, lpel.info. So That's uh, my last name, uh, Tom Elpel. E L P is in Paul. E L Info, and uh, so there's information and videos about the, you know, making the canoe. Um, links to the blog and everything, and um, and there's links on that page to my books as well. And since this one is mostly written, it won't actually take that long to, uh, to put it together. And I think, uh, by March it should be in print as uh, five, five months on the Missouri river paddling a dugout canoe.
0: Oh my gosh. I, I am going to get a copy. You, I'm going to keep in touch cause I want to, I want to be on the the list, the pre-order list, because this sounds incredible. I, I can totally, I've never done a trip this long on the water, but I'd love to, um, you know that being said, what what advice do you have for people who who maybe have an idea and want to do something like this?
1: Um, yeah, I think um, the main thing is is to give it the time it needs and not to rush it. Uh, you know, to I, I just really don't not into that uh, getting to the finish line thing. I think um, that just causes a lot of unnecessary stress and uh, you know repetitive stress injury and all that uh, that. Um, you know, allow the time, um, whatever time the journey needs. Um, yeah.
0: Now, is that also true for maybe preparing for, you know, uh, an era in life where it's possible?
1: Uh, well, totally. Um, actually one of my books is called, uh, Green Prosperity, uh, quit your job, live your dreams. And, uh, most people are actually within about five years of retiring. Uh, if they, um, just have a, um, a good plan to do that, and it's not so much about uh, making more money, but is uh, needing less. And the reason that I've been able to do the things that I like to do in my life is um, is because uh, you know I've avoided having a lot of the expenses that other people do. Uh, basically, I took my the wilderness survival skills background that I had, you know, shelter, fire, water, food, and looked at those and said, you know. Uh, how can I make a lifestyle where I have no rent, no mortgage payment, you know, no uh, energy bill and, uh, you know, pretty much no uh, big monthly expenses. And so I ended up uh, building this uh, stone and log house on a, a limited budget there. And, um, you know, it's a solar and wood heated and I have solar panels for electricity. Um, and so, um, yeah, my expenses are pretty, uh, pretty minimal, uh, and because of that, I could afford to become a writer. Uh, that I could, you know, I could go into the writing without needing to produce an income from it, and write long enough until I did produce an income. And it's uh, it's it's turned out really well. I actually launched my own publishing company, and um, my bestseller, Botany in a Day, has sold over a hundred thousand copies. So, um, congratulations. So yeah. Thank you. Uh, you know, not having, um, not having monthly bills has been what's allowed me to, uh, become a writer. And it also allows me to say, uh, you know, Hey, I guess I'm going to take five months and go, uh, paddle the Missouri river.
0: Living the dream, man. I know that it's taken work and I know that it's not easy at times, but what a, what a rewarding way to live your life.
1: Uh, it's definitely been that.
0: Definitely, yeah, definitely been that type two fun at times. I'm sure. But yep. boy, what have you, you know, what have you really getting a lot out of, out of this little life we have? And can I ask you this as, as a, you know, lastly, I guess, uh, I really appreciate your time, by the way, this has just been incredible. Uh, anything on the horizon for you as far as adventures, or is it focusing on the book right now?
1: Um, yeah, you know, I've still got the, uh, the bike trip and the, uh, the hike on the Appalachian trail in my mind. Uh, but I'm not not in a particular hurry. I, I tend to uh, kind of swing back and forth from doing um, the wilderness uh, type experience to um, writing and publish other business things. It's, you know I, I don't really have to do a lot of work to sustain myself. So it's more uh, what kind of a positive con- contribution can I make in the world? Uh, so you know my primitive skills camp, working with the public school kids, get them out of the classroom. Um, and so, you know, projects like that, and uh, also a uh, president of the um, uh, Jefferson River chapter of the Lewis and Clark Trail Heritage Foundation. So we've been uh, raising funds to purchase campsites for the public uh, on this water trail that we've created on the Jefferson River. And uh, so, you know, just trying, I, I like to make a positive contribution to the world. Uh, I uh, I'm not really a personality that can handle playing all the time.
0: <laughs>
1: right. <okay>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'll uh I'll work my butt off for a few years and then I'll uh decide okay, now it's it's time to go play for a while.
0: There you go, play on, you know, a 6-month grueling trip down the Missouri River.
1: <laughs> yeah, so a grueling trip down the Missouri River, sending on log you know, like turtles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man this is one of the most fascinating adventures i've ever had the pleasure to uh to talk about so this is fantastic well thomas man i I really appreciate you taking the time and and being on the show i hope i didn't use up too much of the precious daylight hours you know i'm sure you've got a lot you got to get done out there in pony um but
1: oh no this this was just fine and uh, really an honor to uh, be on your show so uh, thank you for having me
0: all right yes sir all right bye I know. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes.